Today's reading is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will find you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place for which, from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. You are an awesome church. Thank you for being here today on this beautiful summer Sunday. Uh, turn to someone and go, thanks for being here. Do that. I'm Pastor Tim, if we haven't met, and if you're visiting here today, I'd like to meet you after the service, so I'll be in the gathering area. Uh, if you're visiting, just come up and say hi and introduce yourselves. I'd love to, to get to know you a little bit today. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark launched the series on the screen, Hope at All Times, as he talked about anchoring hope when we are in despair. And he uh, gave a powerful message and lifted up Hebrews uh, 6.19 for us. And uh, read this with me. Here we go. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That hope in God is an anchor, like an anchor of a boat. When we are in the storms of life, and he talked about our hope in God can be that anchor, even when we don't even... uh, Feel God's presence in that moment. And uh, gave a powerful uh, message about uh, depression and mental illness. So if uh, you haven't heard that message, uh, I think it's an important one for all of us to hear. So I encourage you to go online and uh, go to the sermons and and give that a listen this week. uh, Pastor Mark's message last week about um, hope as an anchor uh, when we're in despair. Today we're going to move forward with that theme of hope. Uh, hope in God and talk about when we are uncertain. Hope when we are uncertain. There's uncertainty ahead. Make no mistake about it. I'm going to toss this out there right now. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend there won't be uncertainty in your life. There won't be something that happens tomorrow or this week or this month that you never saw coming. There's uncertainty at every turn and I'm not going to pretend that there's not. I'm not going to stand here and, and try to try to make that sort of nice and neat for everybody because in reality, Life is uncertain. Amen? There is uh, a quote you've probably heard by Benjamin Franklin. Our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is is certain except death and taxes. Who's heard that before? Is that it? Really? That's all that's certain? That's all? We can count on death and taxes. As people of faith, I hope there's something more. I hope there's something to cling to in the uncertainty. I hope there's more to life than just death and taxes. It's a popular quote, but I hope and pray as a person of faith that there's more. I came across this cartoon. Scientists, I think, are going to get a real kick out of this. The rest of you might not get it. Heisenberg Department of Physics. There's a guy standing at a map. You are probably here. 
Not a lot of scientists here today, are there? Heisenberg theory, where uh, his theory is you can never be certain. It's a theory of uncertainty. You can never be certain of a particular object's velocity and location simultaneously. You get it now? There's another joke. A police officer pulls over Heisenberg, and he says, hey, do you know how fast you were going? He goes, I have no idea, but I can tell you where I am. But getting more serious about the uncertainties in life, there's the uncertainties that we deal with every day, every, every time we think about our lives and, and things that can affect us profoundly. One is the uncertainty of the economy. Uh, we are riding a pretty good wave, if you haven't noticed uh, lately, but we know from history that this corrects itself. We know the market goes up and we know the market goes, we know that, we know that will happen. Um, Gallup just did a poll in May, and they surveyed adults, and particularly adults 35 and under. Only 37% of adults 35 and under invest in the stock market. Prior to the crash of 2008, the majority of 35 and unders invested in the stock market. Do the math. That uncertainty has scared that generation coming up. When 37% only are investing at 35 and under in the market, yet the national average for all adults is 61%. There's an uncertainty there. We worry about our finances. We worry about uh, if we have enough. We're uncertain about if we're going to be able to pay for this or that. We're uncertain about our portfolio. We're uncertain about what tomorrow will bring financially. How about the information we're receiving in the news? I tripped over a fascinating study by Gallup. It's going to be hard to see today on a sunny day, but this is U.S. adults' average estimates of the percentage of bias, inaccuracy, and misinformation seen in news coverage. And this isn't about politics. I'm not going there. This is about just adults in our country who just aren't trusting the news. And if you look at the bright green, that's the traditional news outlets, and the dark green is social media outlets. And you'll see the first uh, thing there is, the, is, is news coverage is biased. 62% of adults surveyed by Gallup said, yeah, it is, in the traditional news. The social media is off the charts at 80%. Next one, inaccuracy. 44% of traditional news, 64% in the dark green of social media. Misinformation. We're getting misinformation, people believe. 39, almost 40% say traditional news outlets coverage is misinformed. 65% of social media. I don't know if you're in alignment with that, but think about it. That's a serious study. We're getting news, we're getting information, and we don't believe it necessarily. I'm going to date myself, but when Dan Rather said it, I believed it. When Walter Cronkite read the news, I believed him. There's uncertainty, there's doubt, there's skepticism. What's, what, you know, what are we hearing? Is it true? Is it not? How about the uncertainty of Mitch Trubisky? Anyone worried about that? Amen? Can I get an amen? Is anyone else but me worried about Mitch Trubisky right now? 
I know it was just a preseason game. I know it was just a few, a couple of series. I know he's got the skill set, but I'm a little concerned. I think there's uncertainty with this guy. Do you, does anyone agree? Say amen. All right, some of you are worried about it. But all kidding aside, what about matters of faith? What about matters of faith? What is it like when we think about the fact that 90% of adults surveyed in both Pew Research recent study and another Gallup poll, they found that 89% in one study, 90% respectively in another study, believe in God in our country. Adults. Believe in God, believe in a higher power. 90%. Nine out of ten people walking around in this country believe in God. Are you surprised? They believe there's a God, there's a divine being, there's something greater than humankind. There's that hunger in all of us. There's that wiring in us, in our hearts, our minds, our souls. We know there's something greater. We want to cling to that faith in a God. Sometimes we go through life and we think, you know, I'm the only believer on the planet. We spend a day at school, we go to work, and we come back, and we're like, am I really the only believer on this whole planet? Do I go through the, does, every, does anyone think like I, nine out of ten people believe in God. So what does that tell us? There's this hunger to hope. There's this hunger to have faith. Even in the moments we don't feel it's there. Even in the moments we are doubting. Even in those awkward times where we just, we can't feel God or hear God no matter how hard we try. Back to Hebrews 6.19, that wonderful verse. This hope we have, it begins. This hope we have is an anchor In the storms of life, this hope we have is assurance in the uncertainties of life. Uncertainties of life, there is still hope in God. I think one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest challenges when we wrestle with uncertainty is our own self-doubt. Our own self-doubt. Am I good enough? Do I have the gift set? Am I going to make it? Am I going to succeed? Self-doubt creeps in like a cloud over us, and if we let it, self-doubt rules the day. Do you want to know about someone who has more self-doubt than just about anyone else? Someone who didn't trust their gift set? Someone who told God, you got the wrong guy? Someone who told God, I don't have what it takes? Someone who said to God, can you get someone else? His name was Moses. Moses, Charlton Heston, told God, you got the wrong guy. Moses, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, in your Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, great story. Get your Bibles out this week, read, read Exodus. It's an unbelievable story of faith and how God delivers. I want to walk through a few verses with you in, in Exodus 3 and 4. So get up and grab a Bible if you want to. It would be great to have you uh, following along. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro to his father-in-law. And a lot of you heard Jethro and ran off to Beverly Hillbillies. But come back. 
And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, chapter 3 of Exodus. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. I find it interesting. A lot of us don't remember that part of the story. There was, Moses saw an angel of the Lord in the appearance of flames in the bush first. And then Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw in verse 4 that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. God calls us by name. On three, I want you to say out loud your first name. One, two, three. Moses responds at the end of verse 4, here I am. Remember those three words. Here I am. God says in 5, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So, verse 8, I have come down to rescue them. God has always been in the rescue business. To rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, middle of 8, and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Let's set the context real quick. Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat are a distant memory now for God's people. Egypt sees the growth of the Israelites. They're, they're, they're growing by leaps and bounds, and the powers that be in Egypt say, we got to control these people or they're going to take us over. So they, before they got too big, they put them into slavery in Egypt. Into this context, they're crying out to their God, and he hears their cries. And he calls Moses, Moses, Moses. So now look at verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, that's the head of Egypt, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11, Moses says to God, who am I? Go back to the end of verse 4. When God says, Moses, Moses, Moses says what? Here I am. Here I am, God. I want you to go to Pharaoh. Who am I? Self-doubt. Now watch this tennis match about to take place. Moses is going to hit the ball of God and say, there's too much uncertainty here. I've got self-doubt. And God is going to hit the ball back and assure Moses this is his plan, this, that he's with him, and he's going to equip him uh, to get this done. There's this great tennis match. It's, it's uncertainty for Moses hitting the ball of God, and God hits the ball back to Moses every time, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, like we're watching the tennis match, and here it goes. So Moses hits that first ball of God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I will be with you. Say, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, wait a minute, God. That's the sign? The sign you're giving me is when I get back here with everybody? That's it? You got a better plan than that? Because I'd like to hear it, God. <laughs> a different sign would be nice. 
something to assure me, no, when you get back here, then you'll, that'll be the sign. That requires what? Faith. Hope. Hope in the assurance of God and what he tells us and his promises. Moses in 13 says to God, well, I'm going to hit this ball back to him. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell him? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You're Moses. Really? That's it? That's the plan? First of all, the sign's going to be when I get back here with everyone, and then when I go to all your people and say, by what authority are you coming to me with this idea? You're, I'm supposed to say, I am has sent me to you. That's really the plan. That's, what, that's all you got? Uncertainty. And God in 15 and following tells him what to say exactly to the Israelites. Now we go to chapter 4. Moses hit the ball back. He says, what if they don't believe me? <laughs> what if they don't listen to me? And say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord says, what's in your hand? He says, a staff. And they go through this thing where he puts it on the ground, it turns into a snake, and then it comes back and it's a staff. He, God is assuring him again, I'm going to deliver signs and wonders to get this done. And we know as we read further into the text, the, the ten plagues of Israel are going to break the back of Pharaoh finally, and he's going to let the Israelites go. And off they go towards the Red Sea. But this back and forth continues. It goes on and on. And Moses says, down in 10, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. In other words, I can't do this. I can't talk well. I'm not a good public speaker, God. You got the wrong guy. God says, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute in verse 11? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. Moses, 13, hits the ball back to God. Uh, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. Ever said that to God? Invite your neighbor to taste of hallelujah. God says, please, please send someone else. I'm not good at that kind of thing, God. I'll tell you what to say. I think you got the wrong, I'll tell you, what, I'll be with you. I'll tell you what to say. Then the Lord's anger burned in verse 14 against Moses. He talks, brings up his brother Aaron. Aaron's good at speaking. I'll tell you and Aaron exactly what to say and do. I'm with you. We're going to do this. And as we know, the story goes, they go to Pharaoh, and the story plays out that Moses does deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt, and they are delivered. God rescues them. My question for you right now, pause, hit the pause button. What's got you in captivity right now? And God, always in the rescue business, wants to assure you He's got this. He's got this. Oh, it may not work out exactly the way you want it to, but he'll be with you. What's holding you captive right now? God wants to call you by name and deliver you. Well, that's great, Pastor Tim. God called Moses from a burning bush. That would be great. 
You know, when I go home today and I uh, go into the yard, uh, if God wants to light up one of my bushes and talk to me, that would be fantastic. I mean, if I could just go out in the backyard and all of a sudden see this bush burning and it's not burning up and I'll walk over like Moses and see what's going on and God goes, Tim, Tim, I have a plan for your life. Listen, here's what's going to happen. That would be great. Sign me up. Most believers would want to hear that audible voice from God. They would want that moment, that encounter with God on holy ground to finally hear God's voice and know and be assured of his presence in our lives. But you're sitting there going, that's probably not going to happen to me, Pastor Tim. I'm probably not going to see a burning bush this week and hear God call me by my first name. Most likely not. But I want you to try something on. Repeat after me, please. We are in the presence of a God who speaks. Try that one more time. We are in the presence of a God who speaks. All throughout Scripture, God and people communicate back and forth. They talk to one another like like we talk to our friends and our family. God speaks. So if we don't have a burning bush moment later today, how are we going to hear God? I want to give you quickly five ways. God still speaks to us today. We're in the presence of a God who speaks. And the first one's in my hand and maybe yours. It's the scriptures. God speaks. Isaiah the prophet says, God says, my word goes out and it doesn't return to me until it's accomplished that for which I've sent it out. Elsewhere in scripture, we read, my word is living and active. A two-edged sword, it cuts to the heart. God's word is living. God's word is active. God's word speaks to us. When we encounter the words of Christ, some of us have red-letter Bibles. That's a clue. That's God speaking to you. In the person of Jesus, God speaking to you. It's not a story 2,000 years ago. It's living. It's active. It's right now. God speaking through Christ through the scriptures, and it stirs hearts, it creates faith, it brings assurance, blessed assurance. God wants to speak to you through the scriptures. The next one, sacraments. We're going to have communion later. We say, the server says to you, the body of Christ given what? For you. The blood of Christ shed for you. I want to invite you today not to come up for communion and just go through the motions. But to hear those words spoken by Christ when he instituted the Last Supper, maybe in a new way, maybe in a brand new way, maybe for the first time, where you hear Jesus speaking to you, I died, my body was broken for you, my blood was shed for you, and because of that, you are promised the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. No matter what, no matter what the uncertainties, I did this for you. God is speaking to us in the sacraments. The next one, prayer. Prayer. When we pray, it is not a one-way street. Dear God, blah, 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 amen. See you later. When we pray, we open up our heart to God, we speak to God, and then God wants to speak back. It's a two-way street. I was in a men's group in Minnesota years ago, uh, my, my connect group, and Jeff was at the table, and he says, I've never heard God speak to me in prayer. And Ken, God bless Ken, but he said things a little bit before he thought about them, and he turned to Jeff and he goes, well, have you ever tried? And Jeff said, 
Actually, no, I haven't. Have you? Listening prayer is a powerful spiritual discipline. We pray to God and then just drown out the noise and listen. Listen for what he might say. The next one. The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God that moves and breathes among us, that stirs us, that creates faith in us, that assures us in those moments of uncertainty that God is present. When I've, ever since I've been a little boy, I've experienced the touch of the Holy Spirit physically when I get chills. I get chills down my arm and across the back of my shoulder in these profound spiritual moments. I may be worshiping and I feel the Holy Spirit of God touch me. I may be reading scripture. I may be praying. These are profound Holy Spirit moments and I just get chills. I can't manufacture chills. I can't go, all right, chills. Or I'm in a holy moment right now. Chill me, God. Hit me. But there's those times when I sense the Holy Spirit of God touching me and physically it manifests itself. God speaks to us in a variety of powerful and wonderful ways. And the last one is through each of you. The counsel of our Christian friends. If we have Christian friends who don't know each other and you are at a crossroads or you are uncertain about something, you have a big decision to make or you're wrestling with something and you go to all those Christian friends and they all tell you exactly the same thing or something very close to the same thing, that's the voice of God. It's called the counsel of the saints. God is trying to get a message to you through each of us. We are in the presence of a God who speaks. In Exodus 3.12, God says something very profound to Moses when he's tossing those tennis balls to him. I'm not worthy, God. I don't sense your presence, God. I don't know if I can do this, God. Send someone else, God. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you in the uncertainties. I will be with you. Say that with me. I will be with you. One more time. I will be with you. I will be with you. Bob Goff, the author, uh, has a great quote. He says, embrace uncertainty. Some of the most beautiful chapters in our lives won't have a title until much later. As I said when I started, I can't tell you uncertainty won't be a part of our lives, but embrace it. The most beautiful chapters, the chapter being written in your life right now doesn't have a title, but it will. But perhaps much later. Jeremiah 29, 11, our base text for today from the Old Testament. We read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says, I got a plan for you. He says, I'm not maybe going to show up today in a burning bush, but if you listen in, the, in some of those other ways, I'll speak to you. I have a good plan for you. Oh, it's not going to always work out the way you want it to. We all know we've prayed to God and prayers haven't been answered the way we've asked. But God says what he said to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. When the way forward is uncertain, God offers us hope. God offers us hope. When we're not sure whether to go left or right, when we're not sure about an uncertainty in our lives, whatever we're being held captive by right now, God says, I will be with you. Bill Bright puts it well this way. 
With God, life is an endless hope. Without God, life is a hopeless end. With God, hope is endless. Hope is our assurance. Without God, life has a hopeless end. That's it. Which one is faith calling you to of those options? Matthew 28, verse 20, the end of the gospel, Jesus says these words, I am with you always. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus has come out of the tomb and he's with his closest disciples, he reminds them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, the disciples are about to go through a fire. Many of them will see death. Many of them will suffer for the sake of faith. And he says, I'm with you. When your heart breaks, my heart breaks, God says. When you cry, God says, I cry with you. And when you dance, God says, I'm with you. I'm dancing right there. I'm with you. Always. The same thing God said to Moses through the burning bush, Jesus says to you and me, and he said to his followers, I'm with you. Oh, the uncertainties are coming. Make no mistake about it. But remember God's promise and truth. The hope we have by faith is God saying, I'm with you. I will hold you. I've got this, God says. A year ago this week, we packed up the oldest, and we drove to Augustana College for the goodbye. Good luck. See you later. Uncertainties, layers upon layers of uncertainties for his parents. Will he like it here? Will this be a good fit? Who will his friends be? Will he find success in the classroom? How many times... Will he call us? Will he ever call us? Uncertainties ruled the day. At the drop-off for the parents, when we had to say goodbye, and at Augustana, they, do, they don't let you linger all day, parents. They have this goodbye. They give you 15 minutes, and that's it because they need to get on with the orientation. They don't want you lingering. Hint, hint to parents doing that. The pain, the sadness was so profound. There was a moment I couldn't even get words out of my mouth that I wanted to say, and I couldn't get them out. And that uncertainty in God said, Tim, I've got this. I've got this. You're in uncertainty right now, but I've got this. I will be with you, and I'll be with your son. In the uncertainties of life. What about you? What are you facing? you listen, and you listen closely, you might just hear the voice of God saying to you, I've got this.
I've got this. I've got this. Let's pray. Lord, there are certainly uncertainties in life. We know that. But your promise, your hope, that you offer to each of us is assurance that you're there and your promises are true. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives, both in the struggles and the pain and in the celebrations and the dancing and everywhere in between. Thank you, God. You call us by name and we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.